You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. Berto here, what's going on? And Berto, we're get- introducing a special guest today, so I'll turn it over to you, Berto. All right, yeah, man, this is this is really exciting to me. Our guest here is... He's a trailblazer in this space, man, the space of of trying to promote change and, and using his story to affect positive change. Uh, this man right here is a, you know, he's a he's a fitness savant. He's had he's got state records in Arizona for weightlifting. Uh, he's an owner and founder of the Wrong to Strong movement and uh, somebody I like to, to consider a friend. And to me, he's personally an inspiration. So uh, for all the people that don't know, I'd just like to introduce my brother, JC. JC, how you doing, brother? Hey, man. Thank thank you, man. That's uh, very kind words and a lot of love. I got a lot of love, man. Uh, the first day that we met, I kind of I kind of see right through you, man. You got, you got a good heart, man. So I got a lot of love for you now. Thanks, thanks, bro. Yeah, so on our podcast, man, we like to... Uh, you know, obviously, we like to share stories, and and the the goal, the end goal, is obviously to to create change in in the the dysfunction of the communities and societies that we grew up in that we know. Um, obviously, we're from two different areas. For those that don't know, JC uh, was originally from Chicago, and I'm from Milwaukee, obviously. But I believe Milwaukee is a is a microcosm of Chicago. You yeah. know, everything everything <laughs> kind of trickles up there. So. Uh, we both have similar similar backgrounds from two different areas. Um, so yeah, man, I, I think uh, the the importance of this podcast is, especially for somebody like you, is it's redemption. You know, somebody that has been able to say they've been through the struggle and and they're on the other side of it, and now they're trying to impact lives in a positive way. So with that said, JC, man, why don't you just give us a, a little bit about your upbringing and and kind of how you got introduced into the life of crime yourself? My um. My my parents came over to uh, United States at a very young age. They were fourteen, and uh, they were they were kids having kids. You know, they had me and my sister right off the bat. So they were fourteen, sixteen, coming to United States, and uh, they moved into the South Side of Chicago, where you know it's 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 a gang life. It's a poor neighborhood, and and there's a lot of violence, a lot of drugs, a lot a lot of a lot of stuff. But there's a lot of good people there too. You know, there's a lot of good working. People that are, are looking for that dream. My my dad got really, I guess you could say, turned out with the gangs and the drugs, and ended up abandoning my mom. And you know, here she is in America trying to raise three kids, not knowing how to speak English, not ever having a job, and you know, uh, she had to do what she had to do. And she ended up moving in with uh, her brother. I mean, that's where the nightmare started for me. Uh, he was the individual that would uh, drown me. He would lock me in the room. Uh, it was beatings after beatings for no reason. And, you know, by the time I was nine, I had a, a huge chip on my shoulder. Like I wanted, <clears throat> I hate to, to say it like this, but I wanted, I wanted blood. And that's mm-hmm. just how I felt in, in my heart and in my ways. And uh, gang members, older gang members love broken children, bro. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure enough. Yep. They get to to do all the dirty work for them that obviously they, they can't do on their own. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. So, you know, I, I got used a lot, man, as a kid, I was so broken and, and I was so full of rage and, and just, I, I wanted to get even that, you know, I, I was constantly on that, just on the street and, you know, they would notice and, and hang out with me. And I, by the, by the time I was nine, I was already involved with gangs. I just wasn't 
faithful to one gang. I was I I moved around a lot, so I had to blend in with different gangs all over Chicago. Right. Hey, so let me ask you this, bro. Is it fair to say? I mean, because for me, man, like I remember when I first got introduced to the lifestyle, I was enamored with the propaganda of the Latin Kings. Like you see the black and gold, you see the gang signs and you feel like empowered. You know, Um, is it fair to say that that same kind of feeling affected you when you were around the brothers and you were deciding to be a gang member? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what kid doesn't you know, what kid doesn't want like what you see out there, the jewelry, the cars, the you know, people showing you love you know it, it's fake love but you don't know that as a kid you know what i mean so you just you just see all the uh the respect and that's what you grow up seeing and that's what i tell you know uh you know people other kids that grow up in other environments and in other neighborhoods yeah they grow up wanting to be firefighters and cops and and stuff like that but me i, I wanted to be a gangster right right you know right. And, and and that's what i that's what i found myself looking at that's what i found myself wanting to be like and I was already, you know, halfway there because I was already mentally all messed up. <laughs> right? No, for sure, for sure. Trauma, trauma as a as a kid, man, is is commonplace with that kind of society, with the urban areas and communities. I think it's fair to say, man, that all of us grow up with some sort of trauma, and and even those that hide it, it's 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 still buried beneath the surface. Yeah. Um, you know, I I follow your story a lot, bro, and and I watch all your videos, and like I said, they're inspiring to me. But I think it's amazing. Um, first of all, like your story is a lot more vast than mine. So, so I don't know if we have enough time to cover your whole life. <laughs> I don't know if we, <laughs> I don't know if we have enough enough uh, recording uh, time. But, but I like to let me ask you a question, bro, because obviously it's particular to this show. You know, a lot of us, a lot of the listeners, are familiar with my story, and and obviously used to be a Latin king. But before you were a Latin king, you were actually a Satan disciple. And yeah. um yeah so so let's talk a little bit about what it was like um when you became a Satan disciple and then ultimately what made you become a Latin king and how that works. So me growing up on 26th Street in La Villita, you you have to be from there to actually understand like the culture and the area uh it, it's it's like a little world in, in, inside of another world and you you grow up looking at the black and gold you grow up looking at the at the big LKs on the walls and you see them out there with their chains. And it's almost like as a kid, I already knew what street not to cross, even though I didn't even know what gang was on that side, but it was just, it was what you had to do living there. Right. So, you know, I, it was, it was a big influence because that's what, that's what you've seen out there. And so that's what you became, but me moving around so much, you know, they would move me to my grandparents' house on, 59th and Christiana, and that's where the Saint Disciples were, you know, and mm-hmm. I would go over there, spend the weekend over there, then I would come back to 26th Street, then I would go to my father's house in Cicero, and over there I would be by all the two six, mm-hmm. you know, I I was involved in, and I was, I was, I was a guest boy, I was a KGB, you know, these are party crews, Right, party right. crews that uh, you know eventually they gangbang also. It's just a way of right. not. But that's how they start, right? That's, that's how, how they, they start. start up. You right. know, and and I was already in a party crew. I was a guest boy when I was in sixth grade. I turned KGB by seventh grade, um, and I just started moving up, moving up, moving up. The only reason why I didn't say yes to the SDs right away is because I still felt like my heart, my home was on Twenty Sixth Street. You know, right. with the Kings. Like mm-hmm. I felt that. That's what I was supposed to be. That's what I. That's where I felt I was supposed to be at. 
Right, right. So it wasn't until later I got a little bit older and I started getting into more trouble. I started getting into, you know, more shootings, more, you know, fights and stuff like that. So once you start doing that, people start to know you on the street. You have to pick a crew because if not, all the crews are going to come after you. Mm. And, and that's what I did. I ended up turning a, a, a 59 SD. I was actually one of the first founding members of, of the Saint Disciples. How old were you at that time? I was 13 years old. Mm. 13 years old, but there wasn't one day I didn't have a gun on me. Same thing, man. Same <laughs> thing. I, exact age, exact same mindset. Uh, very, very familiar, man. Go ahead. I, I, I just, I just call it self suicide, bro. You know, I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what I didn't know what a lot of things were. And I, as as a kid, I was I was seeking so much love, so much, uh, you know, fitting in and, and all this stuff that I was willing to take lives. For other people, for me to be able to fit in, that's that's how messed up I was. Do, do you think in the back of your mind you ever kind of like regretted being SD and not a Latin King, like like having to maybe shoot at Latin Kings or or you know fight with Latin Kings as an SD? Did did that ever bother you? It actually did hurt me, bro. I'm not gonna lie. Like when 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 finally the the SDs were like trying to kill me and and everything just hit the fan and and Cato you know, took me to 26th Street and he was like, what's up? I mean, are you going to, are you going to turn or, or what? Right. And and when I turned Latin King, you know, I got my violation in and everything. Of course he picked the biggest guys in there. My ribs were all fractured. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know what that's like. I was about a hundred, I was about 126 pounds soaking wet, man. When I caught my violation. So let me, let me, let me catch, let me catch our audience up and, and maybe Eric too. So, so a lot of the, the, what he's mentioning, Eric is like, there's so many gangs in Chicago. There's so many small gangs, big gangs. Like you said, they start as party crews and eventually they establish neighborhoods. Um, the Satan Disciples are actually a really, really big gang, though. They're they're more than just in Chicago. They're actually um, in multiple states. But the two sixes that he mentioned, they're also a, they're not they're not as as big as far as different states, but they're a big gang and they're a force to be reckoned with. And then and then the name Cato. So Cato is is a iconic figure that that was in the Latin Kings. And he represented a lot more than just being a Latin king. He was uh, he was definitely an influencer in his time, and and I'll I'll get into what the mindset was for the Latin kings when when Cato died because I was actually uh, free during that time. But I wanna I wanna I wanna ask JC. Um, I had watched one of his videos, and there was a turning point in your life, JC, where you actually flipped from from SD to Latin king. Maybe you can share with our audience what happened to you. Um, you know, I, I was uh. I was in fed. This is I was getting back from doing time in Mexico, and when I was in the feds in Lotuna, El Paso, I met some really big people in there. And when I came home in two thousand and one, I started moving some weight. I started. Uh, I pretty much became like like a baller overnight. You know, I, I five hundred Mercedes, the house. I mean, just overnight it happened, and it caused a lot of jealousy in between my own circle. It caused a lot of just a lot of hate. I mean, you know how it is, man. On yeah, the streets, yeah. nobody wants to see you shine more right. than the other. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's like it's like the, the crabs in the bucket. Right. Smile in your face. Yep. And, and my older, my older, you know, chiefs, my older, my older guys in my organization, they weren't happy because here comes this like young kid, you know, fresh out, and he's already got, you know, he's connected directly over to Mexico. Right. Right. So it, it got to the point where they were asking me for work, asking me for work, but I knew deep down inside they were going to rob me or kill me. Mm -hmm. And I just never, never gave them that work. 
until that, you know, that night where they set me up with that gun in, in my truck. That that night, me and my wife, my wife, we went to go celebrate because everything was going really good. You know, I was making money. We were we were about to open up the Mexican restaurant. The house was paid for. Like it was just like I I, I figured that I was that I had made it. I had made it out the hood. I was a baller. I I had made it. You know, I was a gangster. Right. And we went to celebrate to a nightclub, and um, it's the night where uh, I got set up with with a with a gun in my truck when I violated my truck. And, and that's the event that kind of pushed everything into into happening where, you know, I turned the king and and I just became I, I became an enemy to some some of my guys, because some of my guys in that neighborhood still have a lot of love for me. Right. And they understood. Yeah, and they understood what, what happened, what was going on. They didn't even they, they couldn't. You know what I mean? So it, 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 it was it, it was hard, though, bro. I can't lie, man, because when you grow up in, the, in those neighborhoods, man. It's even like when I covered up my, my crown on my neck, I, I started crying because I felt that I had erased a part of my life. Right, right. You know, and, and yeah. I, I, I still was in a, in a place where I couldn't, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that feeling, bro. Like, I think about how tight-knit I was with my crew, right? And you know how it is. Like, even if you're in a gang or you're in a sub-chapter, you still have your your main guys that you hang out with. You know, like, your three or four guys that you're always with, even though... You're, you know, you're always around other Kings. There's like usually a little group that you're with. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine that feeling, bro, when you had to transition and leave those guys behind. So, so basically what he's saying, Eric, is that he was a Satan disciple. And then they got so jealous that they set him up on a night where he was celebrating, put a gun in his truck, called the cops. The cops came, found the gun and took JC back to jail. And these are people that he grew up with. He was shooting people with. He was fighting with, like he loved, he was loyal to, took the shirt off his back for. And that's what I'm talking about. That resonates to everybody who's in a gang, regardless of which gang. You know, these are people that are supposed to be your guys. And that's why I always draw parallels about this loyalty concept and all these uh, different moralities that they try to profess. But in reality, nobody is following that, you know, nobody is following that script. You know, they smile in your face. And then as soon as you start doing good, they want to see you fall. And um, wow, I just, uh, you know, it, it's 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 amazing to me, man, that you were able to persevere through that and and make that decision. Um, so when you became a Latin king, man, you said that, uh, you know, Cato was one of the main guys you were with. Uh, and and maybe for our, our viewers, you can also kind of give give share some light about Cato, man. And and ultimately he, he led you to to meet some some bigger figures. So maybe you can get into that story a little bit. You know, I um, if most most people have heard my story, I've always been friends with with Valerie. Valerie is married to one of the Flores twins, you know, and she was uh, dating also from the '59 uh, SDS uh, when I was a kid. So I've known Valerie for years, years, like from the streets. And you know, when I came home from federal prison, she was married to uh, to Cato, mm -hmm. and Cato. Cato's Cato. You know, everybody knew who Cato was, even if you didn't know who Cato was. By face or anything, you knew you've heard the name. Right. You knew Cato for sure. Yeah. So, you know, we knew that he was king of kings. He called it for the kings and, and this whole this whole thing, you know. And, and when I came home, Valerie really wanted to help me. Valerie's always tried to help me my whole life, man. She's always been like a big sister. Yeah. You know what? I heard that. And not to stray off, but I heard that. And she is, man. I think she's a staple. I don't know her personally, but I know her. Obviously, I know P. You know, one of the Pedro, one of the Flores twins. I, uh, I know of Jay. Good guys, like great hearted guys. 
surprisingly humble for as much money they made. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're referring to the, the Flores twins who actually um, helped bring down El Chapo. They have their own series. Um, yeah. And that's who we're talking about. But yeah, yeah, not to interrupt you, but I definitely agree with you on that, man. I, uh, she's, she's always been um, one of those people who likes to help. So, yeah, you know, I I came home. I came home. I need I needed some money because I I had to fly back to Mexico to uh, you know pay some money off and talk to some people that I had met over there. I was ready to get back into the business, you know. And right. uh, I I told I told my 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 head guys, my leaders about this investment, about this. You know, I needed some money to to go to Mexico, pay for some flights, but I needed an investment to make some money, pretty much. And uh, nobody backed me up. I told Val, I didn't even finish my conversation. She was already giving me the money. Right. You know, and, exactly. and uh, I was on a plane to Mexico. I made the connections. I came back and I, I started working. I started working and, and people started hating. You know, I started hating because I was that one. I was that one dude that was always hurting. And that's why I was always on the street doing everybody's dirt. You know, and, and it, it's almost like they, that's how they wanted to keep me, you know, mm-hmm. And when I turned a Latin king, man, I mean, first, I was so hurt. I was so hurt that these dudes that I had bled with, uh, everything now were my enemies. Right. You know, it hurt me so bad. And then when, I, when I'm, I'm standing in a circle of all these Latin kings on 26th Street, I know that they hate me. They don't want me there. So, like, it, 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 I had to stick really close to Cato to make sure that none of them killed me. Right. Because they they, they 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 still held held, held animosity from oh, a yeah. Satan disciple. Oh right. yeah, bro. They called me a donut. I mean, it, it was nonstop. Right. You know, and and I I used to always just stand my ground. I never let nobody disrespect me. But at the same time, I knew that one guy can't can't beat a hundred. You know. So I, I played my cards right, and I stood close to Cato, and. I, that's what I did, bro. I just I proved myself to the one person that I needed to prove myself to, and nobody else. Right. And and Cato was like I said, man. He was an iconic figure. And I remember during that time, uh, I believe he died in like June of two thousand three. And uh, during that era, that was when I was actually um, I was actually the Casinka for Nineteenth Street. And I remember um, we had got the call saying that hey, you know, this brother passed. And everybody had to come and pay their respects at his funeral. And um, I remember I had got locked up right before we were supposed to go down there. And my brother, I know my brother was going and a couple of the brothers were going down there. And uh, my brother ended up getting pulled over. He didn't make it. But there was still a handful of brothers that made it to his funeral. Was, it was one of the biggest funerals I've ever seen, bro. I, I, I flew in. I flew in um, just for that. But I had to fly out in a hurry because I, I kind of felt that um, I kind of felt that now that Cato was gone, um, they were gonna try and kill me. Right, right. And, they um, were just waiting. They were just waiting for. They that. were waiting, bro. And they and they kept, you know, they some of the some of the guys that I knew were like, because you know who's the killers. <laughs> right, right. No, for you sure. know who's doing. Sure. You know who's doing dirt. So, you know, I was getting all these phone calls about coming around to the neighborhood, come over here, come over there, and I was like, man, I had a bad feeling. And then that was just like. Cause I had to go to the airport and go pick up Fat Joe's wife, bring her to the, to the, um, to to the to uh, uh, the funeral, and after the funeral I had to take her back. So as soon as I took her back, I just hopped on the plane and I, I left back to Phoenix. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know it's it's you got such an interesting story. I want to get into some of those some of those uh, the mother figures too. But you know what? Let me ask you this, man. 
Um, during that time, like I, I remember that being like one of the greatest times of my life as far as my my career as a Latin King. And the Latin Kings had such a stronghold um, on the city. I, I, I believe, you know, I could be biased, but I believe that the Latin Kings were the most dominant gang at that time. I believe that era was like really, really, um, it was really, really held by Latin Kings. And I could be wrong. So let me ask you this. During that time, do you remember how much of a stronghold the Latin Kings had on the city of Chicago? I mean, the 90s, I always say this, the 90s and the 2000s, they belonged to the Latin Kings and the Saint Disciples because right. they were the most influential gangs in those years. And who, who, who do you think was bigger? Well, the Latin Kings have always been bigger. They've always been right. bigger, more organized and everything. But at the same time, that causes a lot of problems too. You right. know, the bigger you are, more problems. Right. And the same disciples did a big grow. They, they did a big, you know, growth in the 90s because they were small, very organized. And, you know, they had some good leaders. And, and that's what, you know, made them blow up into Cicero, Bolingbroke, all the different places. They did what the Land Kings did, you know, years ago. They, they opened up, you know, they opened up for shop. Were there similarities in their structure? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the hierarchy? Of, of how you had rank okay yep, same yeah, thing I, I always wondered that is it was it um was it easier to advance in the satan disciples opposed to the latin kings because I'm, i know that there's so many brothers in them chapters and them sub chapters like it's it's pretty hard to get rank it's not it's not like you can just um you have to really impress those brothers to get rank so with the satan disciples is it similar i mean i looked at it like more bro if, if you had money you ranked up to the top you know, okay. like a lot of the a lot of the brothers that were up there, there were some really good brothers and there were some brothers that didn't have, you know, no business being in there. Like, you know how they say in the joint, you can't put a warrior as, as you know, the guy having the keys. Right. right. You got to have a thinker up there. And a lot of those guys were just it, it was all about that gangbanging life. And, and you really you can't combine both, bro. You can't do business and gangbang. Right. So now let me ask you this. Let's take a big jump, because I feel like this is a step. Um, this is this is where you get even more magnified um, going from the street gangs to working with the cartel. Tell me how that was. Uh, I, I just kind of felt like it went hand in hand. The more I spent time over there, the more I realized how the cartel has always been one step ahead, even with the gangs in Chicago being somewhat organized. A lot of people don't realize that uh, a lot of those gang members from like the 80s and 70s were sons of narcos people that were bringing you know drugs over from chicago right so they set up shop in chicago a long time ago and they just they they go hand in hand cartel and gangs in chicago is the same thing right so it's almost like they're the if 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 you had to characterize it it's almost like the gangs in chicago are the cartel's puppets in so many ways i mean no you, you know I, I wouldn't even put it like that because at the end of the day the cartel's job is over once they get the drugs in two United States. That's why they're not fighting over here. Okay. So they're, they're not dictating know. terms, right? Yeah, they're, they're not, not dictating, dictating terms. terms, nothing. Once the drugs are here, they're here. Okay. So they're, they're looking at it as more like, you know, uh, it, it, distributors, like, you know, they're, they're, they, they send a thousand birds and it gets, it gets sent to, you know, where you were at Bolingbroke, Detroit, it gets opened up and these, it's all the same gang. Now right. you do that with twenty gangs; it's a whole network. It's like a bunch of WalMarts. Right? How, can you can you give me a little bit of insight on how the structure of the cartel works in in comparison to the gangs? 
And the cartel, it's a little bit more different, man. It's it's you have two head guys that have their their pretty big crews, but those main guys are the ones that make all the decisions. Like they they say yay or nay, and that's what goes, you know. Right. And then their main job is, like I said, just to get from point A to point B. Once those drugs are on this side, that's it. Your job's done. You know, in my head, man, I always think of like the uh, cartel, and I know that like they're. There are no nonsense business, and I think about the the members, and I just think, man, they have they do not value human life. <laughs> like there's no, there is no um, sympathy. Put it like that. And so I guess I just want to ask you, like, did you have a different mindset when you were hanging out with gang members opposed to being around cartel members? Nah, man, I I was uh, I was very damaged. I can't sit here and you know put uh, sugar on it. Or, it's just I was very damaged, man, and and um. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you that I, I really haven't shared with nobody. As a kid, I, I was very traumatized that I, I started hurting. I started with like little frogs. I started with little animals. And my, f- my grandparents noticed and uh, they got me some help and I started seeing a psychiatrist. And mm. I just had a lot of pain in me, bro. So I, I wanted to hurt people right. really bad. And, and my, even my, my counselor, my psychiatrist... She used to always joke and say that gangs saved my life mm. because, like, I was out there trying to, like, <laughs> shoot enemy gang members instead of, like, being some serial killer. <laughs> no, nah, hey, and I can relate, man. I can relate. I was known as the as the uh, the animal abuser when I was a kid, too, you know? Uh and, and it wasn't, like, malicious in my mind at the time. It was just me being curious about what would happen if I carried a cat around in one of my winter hats. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was plotting and, and dissecting animals, but it was, it, I, I definitely can relate to you um, and going I, through that, man. And uh, no, I think that's the, that's the glory of God right there. If you, if you have any, have any doubt about it, somebody that can be redeemed that, that really is, is damaged and been through a life of trauma. Um, I definitely respect that. Uh, let me ask you this, bro. I imagine there was a lot of fun times in your life because you've been around a lot of money, something I haven't seen. And, and maybe talk about how it was when you were at the top of your game and, and some of the people you met and some of the people you spent time with. I mean, it was it was fun until a rabbit had the gun. <laughs> it <Yeah>. always is. <laughs> you know, and, and there there was times, you know, we when you know, especially when like when Cato got into the whole music, the whole music business and, and DMX started coming around and, and Fat Joe and we were filming with Genuine and, and then, you know, just rap videos and this and that. Like a lot of people don't get to live that that lifestyle, you know, where you're you're sitting there with with the main people. And then you got the Flores, the Flores twins on this side, the right. biggest, you know, cocaine distributors and yep. all, uh, you know, in United the modern States. era. Yeah, in the <laughs> modern era. That's what people don't understand, man. Like those guys, you know. Um, I, I was just telling my wife the other day about that, like those guys, man, you know, if you think about the impact they had when it came to selling drugs, they were pioneers, bro. They were somebody that, and these guys ain't nothing but five foot five, but yep. these dudes, these dudes put together one of the biggest operations, probably the biggest operation ever to, to cross the United States, man. These guys just think about the business savvy you have to have in order to do what they did, man, and can, and run it for years and years and years. So I think it's crazy that you were able to spend time with those guys when they were, obviously when they were out, I, I met, I met Pedro in prison 
What what was it? What was it like hanging out with DMX? DMX was wild. I had to. I I mean, I I I took care of DMX for years when I moved out to Phoenix, you know. And he was just wild, but he was one of the realest, truest dudes I've ever met in my life, man. And, and he didn't sugarcoat nothing. He told you exactly how he was feeling. If he didn't like you, you knew that he didn't like you. And and it was just he was just a real dude, man, with a lot of a lot of demons, just like us, you know. Some of us. Right. Some of us just can't can't fight them off, you know. Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's uh, it's crazy, man, that you were able to um, be. You know, so you know, Dmx fast. is my daughter's godfather. Oh, is he? Is yeah, he? Dmx is Valerie's godfather, and and Val is her godmother. Wow. That's wow. why my my daughter my daughter's named after Valerie, and my son is named after Cato, Rudy. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. A lot of people don't know that, actually. <laughs> See, we're getting exclusive information here, man. Exclusive information here on this podcast. <laughs> can you can you give me some differences um, in 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 all three areas? So, in as a Satan disciple, the Latin Kings, and the cartel, what were the biggest differences between the three? Do you know any? The biggest difference was that the cartel wasn't wasting time fighting with gangs; they were just making money. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, on Chicago right. side, not in Mexico. You know what I mean? Like right. on the United States. My my bosses, my bosses that were heavily involved in the cartel in Mexico, you know, who I got close with, they hated the fact that I was in a in a gang. They they didn't like it. And it's almost like a distraction. Well, they used to always tell me that I was better than that. You know what I mean? Right. That it's funny how you know criminals have like these these. Uh, <laughs> These criminal guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, but they, they used to always say, man, you're, you're, you're too good for that. You're better than that. Why are you going to be wasting your time fighting over a street? Right. And, and sometimes and not even a street. <laughs> I understood. I understood the concept of them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Let me, okay. So I'm going to take you to a place that we both don't want to go, but let's just, let's, let's, let's get it out the way. Let's go back to prison. All right. Yeah. I mean, we both got, we both got prison experience. I know I've seen many of your shows where you talk about being in, and you you were even on National Geographic, uh, locked up abroad, um, and and that was a crazy episode. It, give me give me a little bit of insight, man, of how it was going to prison and and in Mexico, and and maybe Eric can can be shocked about how crazy it is when you walked in there. Mexico, Mexico is prison for real. Um, that experience I'll, I'll never forget. You know, it, there is no. There is no booking. There is no go see the doctor. There is <laughs> there's, right. there is no no pictures. There is none of that stuff. They opened up a big black gate and they closed it, and, and that was it. I had to pretty much survive and fend for myself. Um, so you just you just walked in there with your stuff. I just walked in there with my bags, you know. And, and most people know the story, you know. I, obviously, I got stabbed right there, right when I was new. I didn't know the the drill still, so I got stabbed right away when I got there for my shoes. But later on, you know, I became, um, I became uh, uh, just one of them. I, I, at the end before, you know, okay, so Mexican prison is very violent. A lot of violence, a lot of people getting killed, a lot of people getting stabbed, raped. Uh, I mean, you name it. A lot of drugs, a lot of heavy, heavy drugs. And for some reason, they're stronger and cheaper in there. Mm. So you have uh, all this going on. And when I went in there, I went in there as a baller. You know, I, I was getting I was getting a pretty big amount of money. Valerie and and the people that I was working for were sending me about a thousand a month. Mm. You know, in Mexico that was a lot of money. Yeah. 
and a lot of money right now to me. I, I was I was living it up. I was living it up. I had my own cell. I had carpet in my cell. Big screen TV. I was always walking around with like Nike windbreaker suits. I thought I was. I thought I was the man. You know, I was. Right. I was 19 years old. I was like. I was. I was a kid. Couldn't tell you nothing. Nope. Right. I got there when I was 17. Wow. And then, I mean? and then and then and then go ahead. Can can you talk a little bit about? I'm just curious, like. In your, because you've been in prison in Mexico and the U.S. I'm assuming. Yes. So, what made Mexican prison so much more dangerous? Was it just the people that were there? Was it just the lack of guards? Everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> the people there, the lack of guards, because there was never guards in there. Never. They only came in to drop off the drugs. You know, right. there was weapons in there. There was guns in there. There was machetes in there. You so know, they like, li- they literally just open this door up, throw you in there, and say, "We'll come and get you." And whatever fifteen years, <laughs> yeah, when your sentence is over, yeah, and yeah, and and what's what's crazy too is, um, like they you have to literally have your own survival of the fittest mindset because I, I remember I remember JC saying they basically bring they have food that they allot to the unit, but if you don't get it, you don't get it. it they don't give it to you one by one. They just bring it in there and then have at it. Whoever gets it, gets it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. If so you, you made have it, to you made it, you know? Right. You have to literally be a survivor of the fittest. It's, it's, it's a mind-blowing concept of how different it is in prison down there to 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 United States. And you, you know what? After everything that I went through over there, man, I, I would not I would not change nothing that I went through over there because I, I just when I became a drug addict, man, and, and I had to like wash clothes to survive and clean rooms and <laughs> I, it, it it made something happen to me that later on I was going to figure out at the moment I didn't know, but it, it, it made me really humble, you know, today. Right. Um, and, and to kind of piggyback off of that, I believe you had that mindset when you went to prison in Florida and you were, you were looking to change and, and um, uh, kind of share with us what happened there in your experience. You actually went to a federal prison in Florida. Yeah, man, I, I, I was on my way to Florida and I always tell people, you know, I wanted to change, but I didn't, I didn't know how. I didn't, I didn't know how to start. I didn't know where to start. And, you know, people laugh because they say, well, that's like easy. But I, I tell them it's, it's easy to you because you probably know something different. And when I when I got to Florida, I was like, I was praying on, on the bus, man. I was like, please, please, God, let there be no Latin kings there. Please. <laughs> please. And I just kept praying, man. And, it was like four hours, and I was like praying and praying, man. Cause... Tell me how that worked out. Tell me how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I got off the bus, the, the gang guy comes and gets me. Because, you know, on your file, it already shows what you are. Yep. So he comes directly, gets me, brings me inside, and I'm like, oh, man, VIP service. <laughs> and he brings me inside. He's like, oh, he's like, cool. He's like, you got uh, 63 of your guys are here. <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. Hoping there's Kings, not somewhere. That's, that's, that. I was like 63. He's like 63. (laughs) I was like, all right. And now you on count. (sighs) I walk in, uh, I walk in, right. And, and I'm just going to keep it real, man. Everything. Uh, I walk in and I see him, you know, approaching me. I introduce myself to the main guys and, and I was about to tell them that, you know, I didn't want to be on count because I was going to do the drug program and all this, but they gave me these two care packages. <laughs> uh, that's how they do it. 
I had never gotten a care package that big in my life. Explain to Eric what a care package is. I had a brand new pair of Air Force Ones, two brand new pair of, of joggers, white tees, thermals, food, weed, spice back then, tobacco. I mean, it was it was two bags full of stuff, man. Right. And that's how it used to be, Eric. Like, I don't know how other gangs work, but I know Latin Kings, they embrace their own. So as soon as you come onto a compound, they're going to give you everything you need to make sure you're comfortable, you know, because you're one of them. And uh, I, I imagine most of the other, you know, gangs and cliques and crews are, are similar. But I just know the Latin They're Kings similar, are, but not, not as big as how the Kings do it, bro. Right, right, right. So let's let's get into the politics of it, right? So when you were you're on the compound, you actually want to get away from it, but it doesn't work like that. Explain that. It's you know it's it's hard because they put you on they put you on a yard with active members, but they expect you to not be active with them. Hmm. And, and you know the drug program is, is 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 a nine month program where you live in the unit, so you eat and breathe drug program. Right. So. You're doing this half of the day, then, you know, I'm outside trying to not let the, the guards and the CEO uh, uh, see me shaking up with the Kings, because if they see you shaking up, you get kicked out of the program. Right, right. Yep. So I'm like trying to be a ninja, trying to shake up, not shake up, running this yeah. way, running that way. And and finally, I'm like, I can't do this, man. I, I It's too much, too much juggling around. And, and eventually, I mean, eventually it, it comes out, man, you know? Right. So I, I just I called the meeting with with the main guy. It was Frankie, and um, he had been down for like twenty five years. And um, I told him I was like, "Look, man, I'm down. I'm down. If something happens, I, I, I'm down. But I just don't want to be on count because I want to finish the drug program. I really want to change my life." And I gave him the whole spill of everything that I had been through, man. You know, I, I was I was tired, bro. I was tired. Right. He's like, "Nah." He's like, "If if you if you get up from this table." With that mindset, you already know what's going to happen. Mm. And, and what is that? You know, I got up, man, and I, I knew what time it was. You know, so I went home and, and I opened up my Bible and I started I started reading Psalms 51. And I grabbed my knife and I was like, all right, so if they're going to get me, I might as well just take like a couple with me then. So I don't right. I don't look like a punk. Right. So, you know, everybody worries about image in there, you know? <laughs> it ain't just in there. It ain't just in there. You look, you look at the society we live in today. That's, that's, so, that's what it is. Image and clout. I don't know what happened, bro. Something in my heart. I mean, I know what happened now, but something in my heart told me to just put the knife down. And I put the Bible down and I went to work, man. And I was working. And one of the, uh, one of the Blackstones came up running to me. And he's like, yo, yo, they, they got, they're escorting your guys out. And I was like, hmm. what? He's like, they're escorting your guys out. And I, I ran up to the window because I was working in the kitchen already as a cook. Yeah, they were walking. I, it was, I think they took out 32 that day. Mm. Just, just walked them out. I mean, if you've been to the penitentiary, you've seen this. I mean, it looks crazy, but it happens. You know, they it's it's almost like they do a cleaning in the yard. And yeah. they, yep. they escort them all out. They were under investigation for like cell phones and all kinds of stuff that was, uh, they, they had their hands in everything in that yard. Right. Typical. You know? So they, they got escorted out, man. And God answered my prayer. And I was like, man, the next day I come out to the yard and all the other land kings that were left, they were all like younger kids. I was like the older one there. And uh, they're like, man, we want you to have the keys to the yard now. And I was <laughs> like, man, I don't want no keys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take on that responsibility. 
I was like, if you guys want to come out, work out with me every day, and we sit down and, and we walk and we talk about like positive stuff, I'm down to hang out. But I'm not going to be on no praying stuff. I'm not going to be on no game banging stuff. It's just I'm not going to do it. Right. You know, and I stood my ground, bro. And, and, and it ended up being the, the best two years I've ever done in the penitentiary, bro. I'm not going to lie. Wow. So, uh, and it, you know, we're, we're going about to we're about to get into the transformation of you, man, because I feel like your story is definitely it, it's inspiring. It's motivational. Um, but before we go there, I, I just want to ask, man, because I know I was so caught up in what the Latin Kings represented. I remember, you know, at first it was about your brothers and who you're around. And then you start to dig into the manifesto. Um, how, how seriously do you believe the guys you're around took the manifesto when it came to prayer and, and literature? Um, do you think that they applied it to their life? There's guys in there, bro, that that's all they know. So that's how they live. Right. And that's how they're going to end, you know, their lives living because they're not coming home. Do you feel like you were one of those guys? Yeah. You know, I, I I strongly believe that everything happens for a reason, bro. Nothing's like just out of nowhere, you know? Right. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I remember I remember I used to say the prayer. I believed it in my heart. Just what it was, man. Just just everything that I was I was professing um, from this book. Did 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 you ever feel connected like to the prayer and, and to this, the the writings in the manifesto? I, I did, bro. I did because, like, I, I was in search for, for you know, they, they call them king, 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 kingism at right. the end, your last transition. Right. right. You know, I was I was in the search for it. And, you know, a lot, I had heard a lot of older brothers talk about it, you know, when, you know, you leave that gang life behind and you become, you know, a leader, not a follower. A and, conservative and, stage. Yeah. And, and, and blah, blah, blah. And I would hear it and hear it, but then I would see them acting different. And I, I'm a people watcher, man. Like, Mm. I'll watch you. I'll watch you for days before I even say anything. Right. You know, and I just, I just, that's what I do. And and I would see them. So, you know, I, I would have mixed emotions, man. Some, some of the best land Kings I met in there, some of the worst ones, some of the best dudes, some of the worst dudes. I mean, you know how it is, bro. There's, there's right. rotten apples everywhere. Right. You start seeing the flaws when you, yeah, when you but, can, but I'll tell you, you one thing though. It, it's not, it's not what it used to be no more. Because yes, back in the day, it was about the brotherhood. It was about you know, looking out for each other, getting better. And, and if you've seen another brother doing good, you you would you know clap for him and pat him on the back. But it's not that no more. We we live in a very different world now. A hundred percent agree. So, man, listen, that that's uh, I, I wish we had enough time to to delve into each each section of your life individually, man, because it's so complex and, and such a great story. But but, you know, our, our podcast, like I said, man, it's about showing the redemption. It's about spreading a great message. So I want to get into some of the transformation stuff with you, man, and just kind of follow your journey when when you started to really get your life together. And, and what were the main uh, uh, foundations in your life that helped you transition to where you're at now? When I came home five years ago, I, I knew that I, I didn't I didn't want to go back to prison no more. I knew that uh, that I wanted more out of life. And. Uh, like I say, you know, uh, um, I didn't know how to change. I didn't know me changing. I always thought I'll go, I'll go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting, and that that creates change for me. But it was it was more. And um, I remember I googled it. <laughs> I googled. <laughs> That's what it. I was I, like, how can I change? <laughs> Yo, YouTube and Google will save me because I got out. <laughs> they became my best friends when I came home. You know, what I mean, because I, I don't know how to read and write that good, man. So. I Googled it and it said college courses. And I was like, I, I can take college courses. <laughs> right. 
So I walk in the college, man, and, and I meet I meet the guy that disciples me now. He's he was a cop for 30 years, right? Mm. But it was him and my wife, two Christian people in, in my life at the at the time that started teaching me, started showing me, not only by by scripture, but by how they treated me, how they acted, how they backed up everything that they said. Right. And I started to learn. I started to learn from my wife. I started to learn from him. And finally, I was like, man, I was like, I, I really believe this Jesus thing works. Right. You know, I see it. So I I fell to my knees, man. I fell to my knees. And I, I, I had never cried like that before. And I I just started looking. I was looking up to the sky. And I just started telling them that, you know, I was tired, that I was just sorry for everything that I had done. And, and for some reason, I just started confessing everything everything that I had done, like crimes and, and just everything, it just started coming out. And right. I, I just, I cried so much, bro, that I, I got up and I was like, okay. I was like, man, that's a, that's a pretty good pre-workout right there. Right, right. You know? I was like, now I'm ready to work out. So I go into the garage and it happens again. I fall to my knees again and I start crying. But this is like a cry, bro, that I don't, I never cried like this before. I never, it felt like it was coming from my soul. Right. And right. just emptying out the demons. Yeah. And, and for some reason, I just felt it in my heart that that was it. Like I wasn't going to glamorize gangs no more. I wasn't going to glamorize cartel life. I wasn't going to glamorize nothing. And and because at this stage, bro, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. My YouTube's doing good and everything, but I, I'm not humble. I'm not, I'm living a very destructive life. I'm sleeping around. I'm, I'm very full of myself. I'm fighting with people at the gym. But since I'm not killing nobody, I'm a good dude. Right. You know, and when this whole change happened and, and he started transforming me, I I realized what love was. I realized what like self-control was. I, I realized what joy was. All these emotions that I had never had in my whole life. And it just started taking over me to the point where I, I was like, all right, you, you got yourself here like a very loyal soldier. What do you want me to do? And right. um, I, I wake up every day, man. I, I, I talk to him for an hour straight in the dark. I, I pray. I read. I spend about four hours with him, man, with my scriptures and everything that I do, the studies and everything before I even get anything else done. Right. Uh, uh, my life is completely dedicated to him now. And everything I do is for his name and his glory. And, and this, that's how I live my life. And I tell everybody... I encounter about him, you know, about what Jesus is doing in my life. Right. Yeah. That's that. That's definitely inspirational. And, uh, you know, I can relate. <clears throat> I don't, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how people can have similar feelings about their life and spirituality and, and profess it extremely different. You know, I respect how you um, wear what you are on your sleeve. And, and I believe it's, it's with me, you know, I'm a Christian in my heart and I believe that I'm doing my best to walk as a Christian, you know, but it's, it's crazy how you can be entirely different on how you move in your faith, but still have the same feelings and the same, um, goal. And, and, uh, I think that God directs me every day. And obviously with you, man, look at your, you're a fitness instructor, basically, um, you know, can you give me a little bit of insight on, on, cause I know you're, you're a disciplined man. I've seen you, um, it just let me into your, let us into your life as far as how to, how you, how you managed to, to, to take on that career and then how you dedicated your time to it. 
I'm a so I'm a visual learner. So I, I watch YouTube is like my best friend. <laughs> so yeah. I, I uh, when I first started my channel and, and taking pictures and because I do all my social media, I do I handle everything myself. So I had to I had to teach myself how to do it. So when I came home, I was working 17 hour days to pretty much pay for, you know, my child support, my bills and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So as soon as I would get home, I would spend one hour watching a YouTube video doing that had to do with editing one one that had to do with YouTube channel and I that's I always I'm very very disciplined every hour counts on my I mean I showed you my schedule every if I'm not done on that hour then I move on to my next thing right. and it's helped me to grow faster because I mean in five years that's how long I've been now in five years I don't know I've managed to be on three TV shows I'm taking acting classes right now I'm about to start my theater class um, I'm getting ready to release my book next year, my supplement line, my clothing line, mm. and I put Jesus in everything that I do, bro. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations on that, bro. That's, them are accomplishments. Them are milestones. Um, and big or small, they should be celebrated, you know, for somebody who's been through the struggle. And I listen to you talk, bro. And you talk about, uh, you just talk about the structure in your life. And, and I think it's crazy how how it relates to what we chase as, as, as kids and then ultimately as men. And what I mean by that is you almost thrive more in your life when you have structure. And I, it sounds crazy to say, but you know, I was just, just thinking about this earlier. It's not that you like being in prison, but you respect the structure of it. Yeah. And I think that's why it's easy to, you know, it correlates to gang life too. There's structure there. And, and people, some people just need structure in their life and they thrive in it. And it's crazy because a lot of a lot of people that fall in that category are gang members. And and it's just like to to succeed in life, you have to use that structure to your advantage. And and I, I definitely respect how you approach it and how you how you use discipline to to grow and be better. Um so I'm gonna give you a chance right here. This is, you know, obviously this is our platform. We were really appreciative to have you on. Um I'm just gonna give you a chance to to give a message to our listeners. Um, you, you can say anything maybe from your story that you haven't shared. You can say anything about how you want to help and change uh, uh, people and kids. Just give us anything you got that, that you feel you need to say. Everybody has a story, bro. Everybody's been through something. You know, um, if we spend less time judging people and more time loving them, you know, we, we would get to be able to understand them and get to know them and be able to treat them the way that we're supposed to treat them, you know, with love and, and kindness, man. And and that's something that I've learned, man, you know, because I hated everybody. I hated everybody. I, I disliked everybody. I, I wanted to put my fist in everybody. And now to see this person that I've become with God in my life, I, I, I sometimes I look at myself and I, I laugh and I'm like, man, it's, it's right. so... The transformation. It just makes me cry, bro. Nah. <laughs> you know, they're happy tears because, man, I respect I've been through it, it. I respect it. I respect it. To, to, get to, that, to get to that point, man, is, is a milestone. I think a lot of people, they, you know, they overlook, they don't give credit where credit is due, you know. Um, and, and sometimes that's all guys like us need, you know. We just need a little bit of encouragement. When you're coming from the bottom, you know, it's, it's, it's easy for somebody who hasn't been there to say, ah, just pick yourself up, you know, and, and, and do this and do that. It's easy to say, man. But when you have all the obstacles that we have, 
coming from our environment, man, it's not that easy. And, and that's why I say you're an inspiration to me because I've seen what you've gone through. I've seen that you've overcome all the obstacles that are put in front of you. And not to say that it's, it's done because we're, we got a lot of life ahead of us. And um, if we're going to inspire anybody else, we got to live it. Um, so with that, man, Eric, I know you've been listening. Do you have any questions for JC? I do actually have one question. And okay. um, JC, when you, when you look back at your life, so there was a point where you made that dis- to change your life, like massive transformation. Is there a single event that you think back to that you feel like that was what the catalyst that made me realize I needed to change? And if there is that event, what is it? Honestly, bro, um, I don't want no kid to ever go through what I went through. Not just, not just the molestation and all that stuff, but like being on the streets alone, scared, and just trying to to do whatever to, to survive. I, I this this is for them. This is for them. Right, right. Um, do do you believe that? Um, I think kind of piggybacking off of Eric. Do you believe that you were more of a spiritual changer? Uh, because with me, bro, when I when my transformation started, to be honest with you, you know, I never had one of those quote unquote come to God moments. You know, it was, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't like super spiritual. So for me, in order to find my path, it was all about psychology. I had to read, it had to make sense to me, you know, and, um, logically I had to figure out what was true and what wasn't. And that's what led me to God. So was your, was your transition more you thinking and finding out and reading, or was it a spiritual happening? It, it was spiritual, man, but I had already tried everything under the sun. I even tried shock therapy, hypnosis. Uh, I had, I've been in psychiatrists, I've been seeing a psychiatrist and counselor since I've been nine years old, you know? So like, that's why, that's why I'm completely sold on what God did in my life that day. It's November 6th of last year. Like I know what he did. And that's why I'm so, I cry every day about it because I know what he did. I know that he took my heart and gave me a new one. It has to be, there is no other explanation. Right. So that, that's that that was the hundred percent turnaround was November six a year yes. ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 amazing, bro. Um, but listen, brother, I, I, I really appreciate you coming, man. I really appreciate this conversation. Like I said, man, I wish we had the time to go through everything individually. I hope our audience really appreciates um how blessed we are to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how they can find you um and, and, and throw your throw your uh throw your stuff out there for them. Hey man, I just I was blessed to be out here, and, and you guys can find me at www.wrongtostrong.com, or just Google "wrong to strong." It, it it's up there. It's a movement. <laughs> it is. It is for sure. I, I and and I consider myself a part of it, man. I got. I, I just got to get back in the gym. That's all. Nah, you good, man. You you, you are you, wrong to strong, man. Eric too. <laughs> yeah. You guys are you guys are big and Eric, man, we'll look like little twerps next to these dudes. I, I seen I seen him the other day, man. He's a monster of a man. Um, yeah. So with that, man, listen. Like I said, I appreciate you coming. Uh, it, it's been a blessed one. Listen, man. Uh, all the best. We'll be in touch for sure. And um, like I said, man, just let, let let's keep moving this forward. Let's keep these conversations. Keep creating conversations and, and just try to affect the people that we can. Go all ahead, right. Eric. Uh, All right. And with that, we'll wrap this episode up. Um, As always, if you enjoy this podcast, leave a review on your favorite podcast player. And Berto, do you have a subject for the next episode? Do you want to 
<clears throat> mention? Um, I think the next episode is going to be a little bit of a, we'll just call it a rant. You know, I, I just want to, I want to get some things off my chest uh, and just have a conversation about, you know, some random stuff. So I don't think it's necessarily a topic, but just, just a conversation. Okay. All right. Then w- with that, we'll wrap this up. Um, if you, anybody has questions, comments, you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com and we will be back in an, a week with another episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.